Well, I figured our stage is getting so classy and beautiful these days that I would add my own touch this morning to it. Um, but I want you guys to, I want to know something. How many of you guys enjoy working out? All right, there you go. Yeah, we enjoy working out. Has anybody ever done like, you know, P90X or Insanity or uh, CrossFit or anything like that? We got some of those people out here. Yeah, I, I've done that before. P90X, I took that on uh, several years ago, a lot of years ago now. When I, I Somehow at that time in life, I must have had an hour in my day where I could devote to killing myself. And so I did that for, and that was a difficult season of life. But working out, all I know is, you know, I enjoy working out. What I really enjoy is having worked out. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Having worked out is much greater than working out. Um, I want you to, you know, what is the purpose of working out? Healthy. I didn't hear everything. Build muscle, right? It depends on what we're talking about. Working out with our bodies, right? It's, it's getting in shape. It's building muscle. It's looking good. Um, the purpose of working out is to affect some change in your life. We don't just work out for the fun of, you know, Wow, I worked out and nothing happened, right? No, I mean, maybe for some of us now, that's what happens. The older you get in life, right? You, you work out so that you can like walk and stuff. But, <laughs> but there was a one point in all of our lives, maybe when you're younger, you'd work out and you'd see some result in your body. It's the same thing. I've been in the middle and you know, I have to apologize. This is kind of like in the middle of baseball season where our life is not run by baseball, but almost. And so uh, having three different boys in baseball, so some of my analogies and stories will come from baseball. If you're, some people may roll their eyes. I hate, so anyway, I just want to put that disclaimer right here at the beginning. But in baseball, what do you work out for? To win baseball games, right? And we've been in the middle of a grueling season, you know, and the team that my oldest son's on, you know, we've had highs where we won a whole bunch and we had lows where we've lost a whole bunch. And at practice, you're trying to motivate these boys and give all these different things. And, but the goal of working out and all of that practice, you know, is to improve and to get better at baseball. The same thing could be said of anything. Maybe it's chess. Maybe it's, I don't know, whatever your thing is. I have a question for you. What does it look like to work out your salvation. Now that's, you don't have to answer it, but that's, a, that's one to think about. Work out your salvation. The first time I, you hear those words in light of everything that we've been talking about and preaching about in the gospel and, and Romans and no one is worthy. And how, what in the world does it look like to work out our salvation? That, that is my prayer that you will leave here this morning with a little better grasp on what it means to work out your salvation. To get there, to talk about this workout, I, uh, I have a couple slides just because I, on a family Sunday I like to leave you guys with some images of what did we talk about? Okay, yeah. So I have a couple slides that there's a common phrase in these slides that will help us to kind of get a better understanding and maybe leave you with something when it comes to what this salvation workout looks like. So you can go ahead and put up the first one and we'll just, there'll be four of them we'll look at real quick, just some pictures. Are they up there? All right, so... There's a common phrase in these slides that I want you to look at. So look at the first one for a second. All right, now we can move on to the second one. All right, I don't know what phrase is coming to your mind. There's probably several different ones. All right, let's go on to the next one. Woo, all right, one more. One more, what is it? All right, so I don't know what phrase, but I'll just tell you so I don't, you don't have to come up with... The phrase is, hold on. Everybody say that. Hold on. Actually, here's what I want. It's family Sunday. I like to sometimes engage the kids. I need two younger kids that don't mind a little bit of holding on this morning. 
All right, I mean, just for a little bit. Yes, sir, are you right there? Let's see here. Can I get him from the same? Well, let's see, we've got to do two different families. You guys are too tall. It'd be harder because you'd have to lift up. But uh, the one on the, you, go ahead, come here. Here's what I need you guys to do. I need you guys to go over there and hold on to that, that sketchy looking bar right there. And here's what I'm going to do. Don't hold on to it yet because what I want you to do is hold on to it. You've got to pick up your feet. And we're not gonna, I'm not going to challenge you to see who can hold on the longest because I know you guys would kill yourselves before <laughs> one of you lost. And we've done that before in here. And my boys went home and they couldn't like move their arms after doing something. So here's what I, if you guys are okay, can you guys both reach that or do you need help getting this segment? All right, you got it. Are you able to reach that? Do you mean to lift you up? I can lift you up here in a second. But here's what I'm going to do. Just to kind of leave an image in everybody's mind of that hold on, if you guys are willing, I'm going to read our scripture today. And while I'm reading your scripture, if you guys are good, you guys hold on to that bar, pick your legs up, and it's, it's only going to be about seven or eight verses. Can you guys do that? You guys good? All right. Okay. So go ahead. All right. I'll lift you up. All right. Can, can I help you? All right. Is that good? Yeah. Is that safe? So strong? Look good? Okay. You guys just hang out right there for a second. We'll get our scripture. All right, here we are in Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Should I read slow or fast? What do you guys think? Fast, okay. (laughs) Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only, is this this tough? Okay. (laughs) There is a ladder right next to you if you you run in front. As you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I know you guys aren't listening to anything I'm saying. <laughs> but we'll, well, you can read it again when you get home. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. <laughs> I love doing this stuff. <laughs> that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast, good job, men, to the word of life, So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain like these boys are doing right here. Even if I am to be poured out, we're almost done, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Good job. Go have a seat. Good job. Good job. Go have a seat. All right, I tried to give it proper, you know, without going too slow. And so good job, men. Thank you. All right, so image, I want you to lock that away in your mind this morning as we unpack this scripture for a bit. Because we've been up here, Mike's been up here leading us to this section. We've actually been, this is kind of the bookend of a section we'll be talking about in just a bit. So um, you're going to want to listen to the last two sermons if you weren't here to kind of catch up on what's going on here. Because if we were just to read this you know, right and just take these, we could take this far in the wrong direction. But as everything, context, context is king. So to understand what is going on here, what does this workout look like? I know what it looks like to work out my body. I know what it looks like to work out in baseball. What does it look like to work out our salvation? That's a strange thought to think through. So Paul starts out saying, just as when you've been, therefore, as you've always obeyed, so now not not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Kids, you know how it goes that sometimes, have you ever been in a classroom where the teacher, hopefully it was when you were younger, not maybe in high school. I'm sure high school students are way too mature for something like this. But the teacher walks out of the classroom. And what can sometimes tend to happen? Chaos breaks out, right? 
So here's Paul. He, Paul knows us. He, he's been there. He's been in that same classroom. But he's talking to those people and he's encouraging them. And he's setting them up for a time and a season in life where he will no longer be in the equation, not able to write them letters. Because he is, he is setting them up not just to be children of God, but to grow up to be mature adults who can live in the world apart from him. And he's saying, not only in my absence have you obeyed. And he's, talk, he's, and he's ending this section where he's been talking about all throughout chapter 2 about what it looks like to live out the gospel. So he's saying, not just when he's around, but even long after he's gone. For parents, sometimes it's easy for us to forget that our goal in life isn't just to raise you know, good kids. Our goal in life is to raise adults, men and women. People who will one day go out and make their own decisions on their very own. And kids, the older you get, you should notice the more freedoms you normally get. Now that's a process of, of learning and trusting. And when you're parents, you know, we don't start off and say, here's the car keys, right? When you're eight or nine. But you're moving towards those times of freedom. And Paul is seeing the church in Philippi moving. And he's trying to show them what it looks like to grow up, to be mature. And that's why he's saying, here's what the gospel message looks like as it's now being lived out. Paul's saying this even when he is gone. So what does it mean to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? You know, sometimes when I've read that scripture in the past, it kind of puts this feeling of dread on me. You mean all that stuff I read about in Romans? Like, you know, the gospel, the free gift of God's mercy through Jesus on the cross. Now I'm somehow supposed to flip the scale around and I'm supposed to work myself back into earning it? Is that what God is saying here? Is that what Paul is saying here? And there's this, sometimes there's this sense of legalism that's put on there of like, wow, I thought it was a free gift, but now you're saying I need to retroactively go back and earn what Jesus has done. Is that what he means by fear and trembling, if that were the case, like, holy moly, I got to start working out. I got to start pumping iron, memorizing the, the whole Bible. I got to start getting serious here. No, is that what Paul's saying? Like I said, this is the bookend of an idea that he introduced back in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 27. Saying, and, and here's the question, because if we ask that question, where does salvation come from? We know the answer, but let's clearly read it to understand what Paul's saying. Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This incredible gift. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation. And that from God. So where does salvation come from? So what... Does it look like to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? One Bible dictionary said this fear and trembling is the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability to completely meet all requirements but does his utmost to fulfill his duty. Those are big words. 
I'll give an example in just a moment. I'll read it again, though. The fear and trembling, the anxiety of one who distrusts his ability to completely meet all requirements, but does his utmost to fulfill his duty. In other words, the gospel message is about God, who's holy and great and mighty and untouchable, and he did what we could not have done, and there's no way we could ever earn it. But the example that comes to my mind, like I said, in the middle of baseball season is this. It's like we're in the baseball game. Uh, At the bottom, we're at the very end of the game, the last inning. Our team is down by one run. We have two outs. Their big stud pitcher is up. And our pitcher goes up to bat. What's he feeling in that moment? Fear and trembling would describe it, right? What is his coach feeling in that moment? Fear and trembling. Why is that? Because time after time, he's watched this kid go up there, this very same hitter, walk up to bat. And each time, the end result has been he's walked back to the dugout and been hit. Or been out. Actually, if he got hit, he'd be on base. It'd be good. Never coming close to measuring up. Paul has made it clear throughout Romans and throughout that we, were, we could not measure up. Every one of us were like that hitter who went up there maybe giving our best effort but falling far short. But in the analogy, our big stud brother, Jesus Christ, came up before us, picked up the bat, crushed the winning home run, not through physical strength and dominance, but through complete humility, service, and obedience. He did what none of us could. But now, in light of that, Paul tells us, God puts the bat back into our incredibly unworthy hands and says, I want you to get back up there and try again. Not in your strength, but in mine. See, when he says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, what has he been talking about in the last few verses, the last few sermons that we've been talking about over? In humility, consider others better than yourself, right? Serving one another. It's the act of living out the gospel, that thing that we could never have accomplished on our own that we fell far short of. And he's saying, now, in light of what Jesus has done for you, I want you to pick up the bat again. And I want you to live in a brand new way that you could have never lived without it. Live it out with the people that you're around. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. We see the fear and trembling because we know how holy God is and how great the, the gospel message is. But also we know how many times we've blown it in our life in the past in our attempt to pick up that bat to go and, and to try to hit the ball and yet we've struck out. Often we make the mistake of thinking that working out of our salvation, when Paul says work out your salvation, often we confine that to like one day, Sunday morning, or maybe in the morning when you read your Bible or you felt like you should have read your Bible, or maybe when you pray one time, you're like, all right, I'm working out my salvation. No, what Paul's been talking about reaches into every area, every moment, every part of our life. The working out of our salvation doesn't just involve Sundays or Easter's or Christmases or reading the Bible or a few times that we pray. This workout happens primarily when you're at home with your family. When you're at work with your boss, when you're at school, when you're with your friends, when you're looking for your entertainment, when you're browsing the internet, whatever you're doing, 
listening to music, whatever, this is the opportunity to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, not to earn what God has only God could do. But now God has said, hey, now it's your time to live out the gospel message. What is this workout? What is the workout that we're describing? It's what we just said. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Humbly count others more significant than yourselves. Look out not just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. If you've done, you know, P90X or Insanity, you thought that was a workout. Try this workout. Try living that way, not just on a Sunday morning when you dress up and you drive to church and we say, kids, come on, let's be good, let's look real good. That's not what Paul's talking about. Living out that, woo, that's a workout. It doesn't matter, you can be here in church and be like, all right, this is good, let me go work it out. And the second you walk out in the church and you know, your, your son or your daughter does one thing, you're like, what are you doing? And then the workout's blown, right? God says, no, this is what I saved you for. I want you to change it right now. Get out there and work it out. When I was doing P90X, there was this guy, Tony Horton. Some of you guys heard about it. You know, he's like the, the, the workout guy in my mind. I don't know how many. Uh, so, but I just remember you're doing one. And the, one of the things that I, you know, I enjoyed doing. Um, how many of you guys enjoy doing pull-ups? Pull-ups are painful. I, you, you guys like it. You guys can come show me how many pull-ups you can do after church. It'll be awesome. Uh, pull-ups, I enjoy, I remember when I was in sixth grade, one of them, I loved just PE. I mean, PE was the best thing, right? Kids, anybody else with me on that? Yeah, PE, that's what I lived for. And I remember there was some like presidential thing. You school teachers probably know what that was. I don't know. There's some standard that we were supposed to all meet. We were supposed to run a mile within a certain time, do a certain amount of pull-ups. And I remember it was just the most exciting day because I think the goal was for everybody to do two pull-ups, you know. And, and of course, there were some of us guys that were like, two pull-ups, right? And I remember we were, it was a competition. Who can do the most pull-ups? And, but I remember when I was doing this P90X thing, pull-ups became the thing I dreaded the most. Because I thought, you know, I can do pull-ups in sixth grade. I did more pull-ups than, you know, everybody else. That was really cool. But when I was doing them with Tony Horton, holy cow, on the video, you know, he'd be, he'd be, all right, guys, let's do your, you know, pull-ups. And then he'd crank out like 30 pull-ups real quick. And I, I, would, I can crank out like, you know, five, ten pull-ups pretty quick. But after that, I go way down. And so it's like, boom, 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 boom. And he's there on the video, all right, talking and being like, boom. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, they must have, you know, done a cut. And he goes over and takes a break for a day and gone back. I don't know how they did the video. But Tony Horton, I came to hate him because I'd be wanting to almost throw up at the end of these workouts. And he'd be over there. Come on, guys, let's just keep doing these. Right? So, excuse me. Uh, so I want you to think about that for a moment. Because Paul has just got done and, and, G, and not Jesus, Mike just preached on this last week. <laughs> Jesus just preached. Mike just preached about, because Paul has been describing, here's the gospel message, and here's what it looks like when it's lived out by the Tony Horton of your salvation. Now, that's a really bad, like, bad analogy and probably sacrilegious. But just thinking about, because he describes Jesus Christ. And as, as Mike said, who came... Jesus Christ, now you think you may guys may have something, you know, something of value. Jesus Christ was God, and yet he came and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And Paul describes what it looks like when a man comes out and lives out a full trusting obedience in Jesus Christ. And it puts Tony Horton to shame. It puts every single one of us to shame. 
It's nothing that we could ever even aspire to. Yet Paul points to and says, now that is the example that I want you to walk in his footsteps. And again, it's incredible. We don't have to earn it. We couldn't earn it. But now that we failed it, Jesus says, I know you failed it. That's why I did it. Now I want you to come up here, work with me, and let me show you what it looks like to live this out today in your life. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, it's not just us up there aspiring to do our pull-ups. God says, it is me working with you to will and to work according to my good pleasure. If we ever think, okay, God, Jesus got me set up here. Now I can do it on my own. We've missed it. Salvation comes from God. God allows us to participate in it with him. But he is the one at work and we can't forget that. It says, according to his good pleasure. I want to stop and talk about that for a moment. I mean, you ever thought, you know, okay, God's pleasure. How do I know if I can trust that? What about my pleasure? Doesn't that count for something? You ever had that thought? What about my pleasure? Throughout the Bible we see and with, throughout experience, I don't know what your experience has been like when you, it's come to pursuing pleasure. But the truth is that I've run into again and again, every time I, I choose my pleasure, my, ch- my pleasure is temporary. It doesn't last. No matter how incredible it sounds, no how amazing it, it looks like, oh, if you can you imagine, and this can go anywhere, right? I mean, that's what advertisement works on. If you had this, it will change and revolutionize your life. But every time, my pleasure never lasts. But God's pleasure is always long-lasting. Jesus told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Whose pleasure have you been living for lately? Where have you been and where have I been trading my pleasure for God's? Where have I been substituting and saying, no, Lord, it's my pleasure that's most important to me rather than God's good pleasure? You may think, how do I know I can trust him? How do I know I can trust this God? And I would just encourage you to read the chapter or read the book of John to see what it looks like when Jesus who knew God better than anyone in the world, came and lived a life fully for God's pleasure and not his own. And the incredible thing that we saw is what happened when Jesus lived his life for that? Did everything go great in the short term? No, things didn't go great. Things were difficult. It actually tells us that he was obedient even to death on a cross. But what was the result of a life following God's good pleasure? We see it. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to come to grips with the question this morning. Whose pleasure are we living for? God's or our own? 
I mean, kids, it's easy to live for your own pleasure. Would you agree? And when your sister, you know, punches you, what gives you the most pleasure in that moment? Punch her back harder than she punched you, right? It's easy to say the question, to to live for our own pleasure. If it feels good, do it. But what kind of workout would that be? You know, if, if we lived a workout like that, what would it be? It would be called the donut workout. Right? Like, oh, can you imagine that? I got my blueberry fritter in one hand and the apple fritter in one hand. Like, oh, oh, imagine. That'd be a good workout, kids, right? I'd be looking good if I did that every day, right? Or maybe for some of you, it would be the Fortnite workout. Now, I don't know if any of you guys know what Fortnite is. Anybody in here know what that is? Okay. I know what generation I have in here. See, on my, video, on my uh, 13-year-old baseball team, that's all these kids talk about is Fortnite. And I had to figure out it's a video game. Anyway, whatever it is, Living for my own pleasure, living if it feels good, do it. The result of it is always temporary pleasure and a sacrifice of the long term. Whose pleasure am I living for? Despite what you may think about God, I invite you this morning to consider what a life lived pursuing not just your own pleasure, but the pleasure of God, the God who created you might look like. So we've covered out, we've covered what is this workout. It's not some attempt to, uh, to try to gain God's pleasure or ga- gain God's grace in our life or his favor in our life. No, the, the sal- it is working out the salvation that Jesus Christ already attained. And yet he puts the bat back in our hands and says, now I want you to go and live this out every moment of your day. So now we have to ask the question, how do we do the workout and Why? So Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things without complaining or without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So not only is Paul saying, I want you to live out this life just the same way Christ did who humbled himself and put the the wants and desires of others above his own. He says, I want you to do it without grumbling, without without complaining. Because he knew us. He knew, okay, Lord, I'll try to do this now. Thank you for the free gift of your mercy. Now I'll try to live this out every day of my life. But if you do it in a grudging, complaining way, God knows it hasn't hit your heart yet. I want to transform it down to the level of your heart. Does God know and see our hearts, kids? Does, he, does God know what's going on in your heart? Yeah, there's a lot of verses, even when Jesus was here, where it says he knew the intent of their heart. He knew what they were thinking in their heart, and he spoke to that. God knows our hearts. What would it be like to live a life without grumbling? What is grumbling? The actual definition is murmuring. More of us, and another definition they gave was a secret debate. Secret debate going on maybe in your own heart, maybe going on with somebody else murmuring, can you believe what that person did? Now, I know as a baseball coach about grumbling, right? Because what is grumbling? We tell our kids all the time, hey, you can only control what you control. It's your attitude, it's your effort. You can't control anything else. But what do we often do as coaches over in the dugout or maybe you do as parents when you're watching it? Holy cow, he called that a strike or he called that a ball. Why? He's right behind the plate and I'm 30 feet away looking at it from a 90 degree angle. That was a strike. I could tell perfectly, right? That guy's, 
Uh, and the murmuring that's going on. Imagine living your life without the grumbling, without the complaining that goes on. That's what Paul is holding out there for us. We ask the question, well, what do I do with those emotions that I can't control? I think it's kind of encouraging to read through the book of Psalms. Because when you read through the book of Psalms, you see David pouring out his heart to God. His enemies, God, take my enemies, slay my enemies, take me. They're trying to defeat me. They're trying to overcome me. But he pulls, he brings his, those emotions. We live in a world that says your emotions define who you are. It's a dangerous way to live. It's a workout that doesn't end in a good place. But I'd invite you to bring those emotions to God. And Paul says, do this without grumbling, without complaining. Imagine how your life would be different, not only if you didn't just grumble and complain out loud, but even if you didn't grumble and complain in your own heart. And instead, when you felt those emotions, those feelings of, Lord, that's not fair. You took those to him and said, okay, Lord, I can't handle those emotions. I'll bring them to you. Now help me to live out this gospel message in the way that only you can, to work out my salvation, to actually live in humility and to serve others without grumbling and complaining. Imagine Imagine what that would look like. You don't even have to imagine it because Paul describes it. He says, if you do that, you will be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, we sing the song like this little light of mine or, or those kind of thing. And it, you know, it sounds sweet and, and nice to sing it. But imagine if we were to live our lives this way like Jesus did, without grumbling and complaining, and as we'll see in a little bit, actually rejoicing in the midst of it. Not because life is easy and everything's going good, but because God is there. He's allowed us to work out our salvation through his strength. Imagine what you would look like to your coworkers. You wouldn't have to try to just, you know, quote Bible verses to them. They would see it showing up in your life, saying, what is so different about you? Why are you doing your life? Why are you not murmuring and complaining and, and gossiping and doing all the things that everybody else is doing? This is what Paul is saying. This is what the church should look like, not just inside a building on a Sunday, but all week long, in every moment in their families, in every moment of the day. Innocent, he uses that word. And for some of us, just to stop for a moment and imagine what does it feel like to be blameless and to be innocent? You know when it feels really good? Uh, kids, what about when your parents walk into the room? And parents, you know, you know when you walk into the room and you look at your kids and you know they're not blameless and innocent. What do they look like? Kids, can you show me what you look like? Somehow you guys learned that, that look. What do you look like when you're not blameless and innocent? I don't know who taught you the look, but somehow, somewhere along the line, somebody got, because you all look that way. Now, maybe some of you can hide it better than others, but your, your mom can walk in the room and what can they know right off the bat when you're not blameless and innocent? They can see it and they know, what did you do? What happened? Right? And again, it's all, it plays itself out in different ways. You know what? what I, I think of, you know, when you're driving down the road and a police officer pulls behind you, you ever have that happen? 
in that moment. I'll have that happen. It just, it just adds stress, doesn't it? Because I'm like, okay, what's wrong? Am I speeding? Okay, what? I had this last weekend. We were down in Winthrop and we drove back the, no, we weren't in Winthrop. We were in Wenatchee and we drove back the long way through Winthrop. And I was driving along, you know, careful of the speed limit, looking at it. And I've noticed, you know, my phone, um, they upgraded something. So the phone now has like the speed limit on it, on the GPS. So I was kind of looking at that every once in a while. And so I was on 20, you know, back up in the mountains there. It was a beautiful drive. So I think the speed limit was 60 most of the times. Then you'd go through a town, it would drop down. So I was out in the middle of nowhere. I was mindful of the speed limit. I was going 60, and then I saw a police officer. And I, I, you know, I, I knew it was 60. I see the police officer there. And again, it's nice when you're blameless and innocent. It's just a big, I mean, it's a breath of fresh air because you're like, oh, good. You know, I, I'm glad he didn't see me 10 minutes ago. I'm glad he sees me now. I'm blameless and I'm innocent right now, right? The problem was my phone GPS, I, I knew it was 60, I looked down and my phone GPS, the speed limit, I hadn't, for the very first time, it said 25 miles per hour. I was in the middle of nowhere and all of the sudden I was stressed. I'm like, holy cow, did I miss a sign? Why would it be 25 miles per hour in the middle of nowhere? And now I'm kind of wondering if he has a little something, he's like, him and Apple got together and he's like, you know, I'm just going to play with these people. So he's out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if he had some way of manipulating my little 60 mile per hour sign. And all of a sudden, because so I'm, I'm there and he's actually pulls out behind me. And so I'm, I was going 60 and the kids are in the, and I'm freaking out because I'm like, okay, I didn't miss a sign, did I? Why would it be 25 miles per hour? I'm in the middle of nowhere. This makes no sense. I didn't know what to do. I, I wanted to pull over and ask him like, um, am I guilty? Because I don't know. You know, and so I drove like 35, because how do you, I didn't know what to do. And he was probably having the time of his life. He was just enjoying it. I don't know if he was manipulating or what, because we drove for a couple miles that way. And then finally, my, there was nothing happened. No, then finally it went back up to 60. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just keep driving. And he pulled off and had his fun. But that's a big distracting story. But it feels good. Imagine all of us in your life, you know, I've talked to somebody already this morning, this past week, I don't know what's gone on in your life. Imagine what it would feel like to be blameless and innocent. Pure. That, the word innocent, it comes from the word for pure. Uh, speaking of like wine or metals, pure gold. What would that look like? Imagine what it would be like to be blameless, innocent, and pure. Not just before a police officer, but before God. That's the gospel message. Think about that for a moment. Because every one of us, that, that's almost a joke. Blameless, innocent, pure. I can aspire to something of that. But Paul has already shown us over and over, oh no, no, that's impossible. You, you can't do that on your own. But the gospel message is saying that you have the ability, maybe for the very first time in your life, to be without blemish. Blameless, innocent, pure, a child of God, something that was completely unattainable without Jesus Christ. He's saying, yeah, that's something you couldn't have done, but now Jesus Christ has given you this, and I want you to work out your salvation. Take it seriously. Don't just take it for granted. Yeah, Lord, thanks for the pass into heaven. No, God is saying, I want you to live your life in light of the gospel message. An incredible opportunity we have this morning. If you've never experienced that feeling of being blameless 
and innocent. If you're thinking, oh, you don't know what I did. No, we've talked about that many times. Jesus Christ knows your heart. He knows what you've done, and he holds out an offer for you. And that's what we stand for as a church, is to open up that invitation to say, come and experience the blameless, the innocence that's only available in Jesus Christ. Not having to live your life in fear of what is God going to do to me or when I die. This is an incredible gift and an incredible opportunity. This twisted generation that he words, that twisted is, it means a generation that has turned aside from God's path. You will stand out in your workplace. You'll stand out to your kids if you live this out. And then we get to verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Why do you say, why would he say holding fast? When these guys were over here holding fast, you know, was that hard or was that easy? That looked hard or easy to anybody? Was that, that was hard, wasn't it? Those guys were ready for me to get done with it because it's difficult to hold on. Paul is saying holding fast to the word of life. Living your life this way, considering the, the needs of others above your own, that's not going to be easy. You're going to blow it. You're going to mess up. But hold on to the word of life. Whatever your life is going, whatever's going on in your life right now, God says, no, I have a plan and I have a path that I want you to hold on to me. I know it's not easy. I know it's difficult right now. But hold on. The temptation will be to let go. What do you do when you're falling? You ever been, you ever fell? What do you do? You try to catch yourself, right? I was thinking about this. You know those, those uh, falling dreams? Has everybody had one of those dreams when you're falling? Everybody had one? I was thinking about that. I, I must, there, I'm sure some, you know, neuroscientist or somebody could tell. Because I, ha- I don't think I've had one of those since I was a kid. It must be like a brain development thing. And somebody out there could probably fill me in later on. But I remember that feeling. Kids, have you had that, that one yet? I don't know if it happens. I, just, I remember having them, but it was only when I was a kid. So maybe that means I'm just a healthy person now. I don't know what that means. Probably means something. But can you know that feeling when you're falling? And it's just a really uncomfortable feeling unless it's intentional, right? Unless you're skydiving and there's a parachute that's going to be falling. Because when we're falling, we grasp on to something to catch ourselves. There's a danger when you're falling in life of grasping on to something that's temporary. For many of us, for many of us adults especially, and probably for kids as well, that thing that we often try to grab onto is some sort of control. I'm falling, I'm, I've, my life is spinning out of control. I need to grasp onto something and some sort of form of I need to regain control in my life and yet often we grasp onto something that's temporary. My life is out of control, I need to take control. And so we grasp onto power or money or popularity or whatever it is that we think will catch us and hold us. And Paul says, hold on to the word of life. Fix yourself to it. When you walk out of here, you're going to be tempted to let go of it in a moment. You don't even realize that's what God is talking about. That's what Paul is inviting us to. Hold on. Just like Jesus did. He didn't try to grasp on to his equality with God. He surrendered. He held on to the word of life, the word of truth. And it took him to the cross. Paul ends giving an example in his own life again. 
Philippians 2, 17 through 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He's given us the challenge. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is this salvation? It's the act of doing all of those things that Jesus Christ just did. He's told us how to do it. Don't do it with grumbling and complaining. Why to do it? So that you will stand out as lights, as children of God, as lights in the universe in a crooked and dark generation. And he gives this example of the drink offering. Numbers 15 gives us a little bit of an idea of what was a drink offering for the Jews. In that day, God told them, hey, when you enter into the promised land and when you give a sacrifice, you know, maybe to fulfill a vow or on on the days where you're going to celebrate a feast and remembering a great act of God. And he he described these sacrifices that they would give. And in the sacrifice, there was the main event. You know, there was the main course. It would be a, a bull or a ram or a lamb. That was the main part. And then there would be these side dishes around it. It was kind of this celebratory worship mill that they got to participate in with God. And the side would be a grain offering. And there was a drink offering. And it would depend on what the main course was. You know, it would either be a half of a hint of wine or a, or it's, which is just, you know, a, 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 almost a quart of wine or maybe a third, depending on what it was. But so it was like laying out this mill for God and pouring out this drink offering. And it described this was a pleasant aroma for God. They were getting to participate in this, this worship act, this very literal, you know, Get your, put your hands on the food, the grain, the drink offering. Taking something that's of value and pouring it out along with the sacrifice and offering it up to God. So that's what this drink offering was. It was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now we've talked about the word blemished. We know that those sacrifices had to be unblemished. We know that we would have been without Jesus completely unworthy sacrifices. We were blemished. Yet Jesus took those away from us. And it says now in 2 Corinthians 2.15 tells us, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now Paul says, and just like Jesus did, I am willing to empty myself as a drink offering to God. Pour me out. Even if that ends in my death, remember Paul's writing this from jail. His, his outcome is uncertain. He doesn't know what will happen. But he says, even with all of that, I live out this gospel. And I, I pour out, even if I pour out my life as a drink offering, he says, I rejoice and I invite you to rejoice with me. So God describes this workout it's one of going to God and saying, Lord, make me a servant. Make, allow me to do what I couldn't have done without Jesus Christ, without grumbling, without complaining, and the opposite of that, actually rejoicing. So our challenge this morning is to realize that when we are trusting our life into God's hands, our life can be a drink offering, complimenting, and building up not just our own life, but the lives of others around us. In this church building, again, when we're with our families, when we're with our, in our businesses and our schools, our life is there now because of Jesus Christ. We can pour it out as a worship offering to him. So I ask you again, what does your life look like right now? What is being produced? What are you working towards in your life? What are you grasping onto? What pleasure 
Whose pleasure are you living for? What change is being affected in your life? Paul is inviting the church of Philippi to take seriously the implications of the gospel. Not just to freely receive it, but to turn around and allow it to shape the way you live your life with others. It takes hard work. It takes working out not to earn something, but to put into place what God can only do in your life. That's the question I want you to leave like this week. This week as I was, you know, attempting to prepare for this sermon, dwelling upon these, these thoughts, you know, no grumbling, no complaining, and, and then I get to the, you know, it was one of those just full weeks. I'm sure you all had a full week. I've talked to multiple people and everybody's like, ah, it's a crazy week. You know, it looks like, what does it look like to live out this working out your salvation? So all week long, I was like, all right, Lord, I need to work on a sermon this week. And again, like every week that happens, it was one of those times where it's just like the worst possible week to have to preach a sermon. And so we get to the point, okay, Thursday, I'm finally able to sit down and have a whole day marked out, charted out to work on the sermon. I've still got a lot of time. So I'm there sitting at Starbucks where I enjoy working on one. And I get a phone call. I manage a water district. There's a leak. Oh, great. Okay. All right, Lord. Okay, we'll go look at this leak. Hopefully in just an hour I can get back onto it. All right. Two days later, Thursday and Friday are gone. It's this, you know, it's one of these leak. Okay, I have to go. Note, it, it was a pain. I got to take off. I got to cut off 13 people with their water for the day. But we can fix this in a couple hours. So I get to Friday, get it all set up. We're going to do the work on Friday. Then I can get to my sermon, what's more important in life. And then so the first thing that happens on Friday morning is, you know, this, this leak fix that should have taken just a couple hours. Again, and for me, when I have people that don't have water in their house and I, I know they may tend to start grumbling and complaining, so it kind of adds a little pressure to it. So I'm like, all right, let's fix this. So the first thing, I'm pulling a board off, and fortunately it was me and not the guy with me that did this stupid thing that I did. But anyway, I was pulling a board off the leak, and one of the boards fell down and broke another pipe that was right next to it. And I was, okay, I'm thinking, okay, I got two hours here, and then I got the rest of the day on Friday to work on the sermon. This is great, Lord. And it just felt so, it, it happened so quick, I know that God was involved with it. Because I was like, all right, this is like biblical. I'm, for one, I've never seen this happen. And so I'm looking at, I had a solution for this. This pipe that just broke up, I didn't have a solution for it. And so I'm starting to be like, oh, that's a big deal. This is, I've got people that don't have water. It's Friday. It's the weekend. I can't just you know, tell them, well, guys, I'll get it back to you next week. You know, this is, this is pressure. And so I'm starting to feel this build. And I have James, this guy that I've, I've known for a while here working with me. And, um, you know, he's... He's, on, he's in a different spot as far as, he, you know, he, he loves God, and he's, but he's not, wouldn't, I don't know if he'd call himself a Christian or not, but we were just having a conversation. I told him, yeah, I'm preaching on Sunday. I was, I was hoping to be studying for that right now, but I'm out here working on this leak, and the whole time I'm thinking, no grumbling, no complaining, all these things going on in my life. And then this just happened, so I, I'm like, I need to get in some extra people that know more than what I know. And so I try to call a couple plumbers. They come take a look at it, and they're like, yeah, I don't want to touch that. And they drive off. And I'm like, Whoa, this is on me here. I need to be preaching a sermon. And so I told James, I'm like, I was just wanting to preach a sermon. I didn't want to live one today. <laughs> and so it took all day long. It really wasn't until 3 o'clock I thought, I don't think that we're going to get this fixed today. Finally, we were able to find a good workaround, good solution. It was 5 o'clock when I'm done. It was, I'm just dead tired. Go home. Okay, I can work on the sermon tomorrow. No, wait, I got doubleheader baseball game. Okay, Lord, what are you doing? God, you know. And the whole time, it was this opportunity to, okay, Lord, hold, God's saying, hold on. 
hold on. Why are you going to live your life? Are you going to drag this stress home? Are you going to treat your wife and your children in the way that you would normally do it on your own power? Every time I've stepped up to bat before and I've struck out and I've taken out stress or maybe just not been there. And it's been one of those weeks I just, I, Lord, why are you doing this this week? And I realize Sometimes the working out of our salvation is done in maybe big ways. Maybe you're going to go you know, to, on the mission field or preach a sermon. But more often than not, the working out of our salvation with fear and trembling comes to those moments when life goes in an unplanned direction. And God is saying, all right, you're going to go back to the old way or are you going to do it with me? That's the invitation that I have for you this morning. It's the invitation that God has for us as a church is to hold on to him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I don't know every story in this room, but I do know that there's a lot of stories in these rooms, Lord, in this room. I know the people listening in other places Father, where we maybe we once thought working out our salvation means we need to memorize a bunch of Bible verses so we can get a sticker and a prize from our Sunday school teacher. And Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us what it means, that it is something far greater with far more impact, Lord, that you desire us to not just be a people that floats through life merrily, merrily down the stream, Lord, but you desire us to work out, you invite us to work out with you. Holy cow, Father, what an incredible blessing. We couldn't ever even aspire to it, and yet you have a challenge and a calling on every person in here. You have a, a calling on their life this week, maybe in a really small, you know, something that doesn't even seem like a big deal, and yet you're saying this is the opportunity to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I pray that you would show us what that looks like when we encounter those moments, Father. When we want to fly off, when we want to react in anger, when we want to react in disappointment and hurting and those around us, Father, would you make us pure, blameless, and innocent children of God who shine like a light in this generation, Father, not just in name only, but in truth. And we trust the working out of that to you, Father. We're so grateful. Like it says in Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, in your sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.